This is Aaron from Retro Obscura. When I'm not playing Hepburn Mataru Saragu on my Neo Geo MVS system, I'm listening to the SNES podcast. And welcome to the Super NES Podcast. This is episode five. We're talking about one of the most popular and best known games of Super NES, Contra 3 The Alien Wars, uh, published by Konami back in 1992. Uh, with me tonight is a like, usual co host, Chad. Hello. And we're also very honored to have another special guest host with us tonight from the very popular Retro Obscura podcast, Aaron. Hey, how's it going? And I just want to mention that I think it's great that we're talking about one of the most popular games on the system. And you guys picked a guy who's always talking about the most random and crappy <laughs> games <laughs> on his own podcast. I wanted to be on this episode because I love this game. So thanks uh, for having me. Uh, man, you stole my joke. I was going to make a joke that you didn't have to talk about playing an obscure game tonight. And I have to talk about a game like uh, Toilet Kids, where <laughs> you're literally a kid who gets sucked into a toilet world and has to fly around shooting crap, basically. <laughs> Not the weirdest game out there, that's for sure. <laughs> no, that that's just uh, that's the tip of the iceberg, as far as weird games. It's awesome. It's like Garbage Pail Kids thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty much like Garbage Pail Kids the game. That's... <laughs> So anyway, anybody who's not already listening to uh, Retro Obscura really need to do so. Uh, uh, like Aaron and Paul do a great job of that podcast on a regular basis. They talk about a lot of obscure, underrated games that may have gotten missed for one reason like or another. The whole podcast is excellent. So I highly recommend that this podcast should be in your uh, daily list of podcasts if it's not already there. So. And uh, Aaron's been a very big supporter getting this podcast going. He provided a bumper, like even having to ask for it. He's been invaluable in helping both Chad and myself with like, editing and recording issues. So it's a real great pleasure to have you on here in the podcast with us tonight, Aaron. Hey, thanks a lot. I just think you guys are doing an awesome job and keep up the great work. Oh, yeah. You know, um, that Retro Obscura thing even also has that uh, <clears throat> one guy that, you know, that SNES co-host on there every now and then. Oh, are you talking about uh, that time that you came on there, Chad? 
Yeah, that one time. And <laughs> yeah, you came on there back. one time. No, no, no. I, I'm sure you and or Greg will be back sometime this year. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Probably both of you. Probably both of you. <laughs> Probably one of you. You know what? It's going to be like Survivor. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever wins the challenge is going to be on the show. So stay tuned. Hey, looking forward to it. Bring it on. That's all I can say. <laughs> right? Usually on our show, you know, when we have a video game challenge, the loser has to sing. Oh, I can sing. It's not going to be pleasant, but I can sing. <laughs> we haven't done one of those in a while, thank goodness. So. No, you should bring that back. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, how much can we actually embarrass ourselves? It turns out there's plenty more to go. Yes. So. <laughs> Uh, well, we're all at risk of putting ourselves out there for embarrassment doing this podcast on a regular basis, aren't we? Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, <laughs> you always put yourself on the line and you say some pretty silly things sometimes. And then you're like, oh, I forgot to edit that out. <laughs> it's going out on the show. <laughs> totally like, I don't know what it was. I don't even know what I was talking about. I was talking out of my butt, basically. I was like, oh, great. It's on the podcast. <laughs> it got published. Uh, well, speaking about podcasts, I, I, uh, before we get started here, I wanted to mention real quick a couple of quick shout outs for a couple of podcasts I recently found that also have done some mentioning uh, some covering Super NES games. I actually have to thank Ferg for telling me about this first podcast because he recommended it to me. There's a podcast out there called Watch Out for Fireballs. It started about a year and a half ago. It's not on a network, so just do a Google search for it and you can find it. It's a great podcast with the two hosts really going to a deep dive about some various games and they've run a whole gauntlet of games going from the NES days all the way up to Morrowind for like PC and Xbox. Excellent podcast. Uh, they do a really good analysis of the games that they're covering. Great chemistry between the hosts. Very funny. They always open up the podcast like a skit. I should warn you, it's not family friendly. There are some there are some adult jokes. There are some swearing and some sexual references and that kind of stuff. But it is a laugh out loud, totally top notch quality podcast. I highly recommend. Uh, some of the Super NES games that they've covered already have been Soul Blazer, which we covered actually in our first podcast. Uh, so if you want to hear a different take on the game, check out that episode on Soul Blazer that they did. They've also featured Zombies at My Neighbors, Mario RPG, EVO, and some other Super NES games. So uh, I highly recommend checking out the podcast. And conversely, they also recently started another podcast called Abject Suffering, which is the name they suggest. They talk about one of the worst games ever made for various systems for about a half an hour, with all kinds of jokes and banter as to why the game sucks and that kind of stuff. And uh, the very first podcast for that one was Revolution X for Super NES, which is definitely worth of all the hate and violence you can toss at it. So it's always a pleasure finding some podcasts that cover some Super NES games to compliment this one. So I highly recommend anybody out there to check out those two podcasts. So my good buddy Ed from Pixel Tunes Radio Podcast, he wanted to throw out there that they actually did a Contra episode. It was episode 14 of their podcast. They're also on the Retro Junkies Network, so they're family friendly. They did a really awesome episode on Contra, and they did uh, 10 tracks from various Contra games. And so I want to say the song they picked from the Super Nintendo version was the boss battle theme, which is just epic. Yes. So I'm really excited. I love the episode they did. Another show that I wanted to mention is called uh, We're Gonna Need a Bigger Show. And I want to mention them just because they they did something called Todd Rhombus's Contra. And so basically there's this guy that's associated with the show and he wrote like a really over the top goofy script for like a, a Contra movie, basically. And so what this podcast did was they kind of turned it into like a radio drama. And so they got people together to actually read the parts from this like 
totally ridiculous script and they turned it into a thing. And so now you can go hear that show where they basically present their version of Contra. It's hilarious. It's just so bizarre and wacky, but it's it's worth checking out. I'm going to check it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you got you to gotta check it out. Tell me what you think. And Nick DeMarco and I have resurrected the Retro Thought Pod. We actually recorded our first episode last Monday, and I should have that edited and out within the next couple of days. So, um, yeah, we are going to start recording regularly, and it should be awesome. Also, uh, the Toys R Us report is really starting to get pretty cool. I see robots. It's actually been pretty awesome, but he, uh, I just discovered it because he came on the Retro Junkies Network, and it's pretty informative, and he also ends up with a couple of movie reviews along the way. So, yeah, check him out. Yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah, he is. Well, thank you very much for all that extra, um, you know, suggestions and thoughts for additional stuff to check out. Chad, do you have anything else to uh, address before we get going with the gameplay discussion? No, I'm ready to shoot some aliens. (laughs) You're doing lots of that, like in this game. Um, (laughs) And we're talking uh, about Gunstar Heroes, right? (laughs) Wait, am I on the right podcast? Should I be on the Genesis Gems right now? No, No, we're talking about Contra Force. Yeah. Like oh, the man. the worst Contra game ever, right? Yes, Two dudes definitely. are going to cover that next week. <laughs> yeah. That's a good segue, though, Aaron, for talking a little bit about the Contra franchise. For those of you who have not played many of the Contra games, Contra is one of the most longest-running and most popular franchises that Konami has done. You mentioned Konami to a casual game player, and chances are that they're either going to think of either Castlevania or Contra, because those have been the two most famous franchises that Konami has done. This is the third game in the franchise, well, officially a third game of the franchise. The original plan was this game to be called Super Castlevania 4, because they were going to consider Contra Force to be canon, and then... Like the wiser minds about that, and like, nah, we're not going to include that piece of crap. So, um, that's what this game. Well, I think you said Super Castlevania 4. You mean, did you mean Contra 4? Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. The original working title of this game was Super Contra 4. Yeah. I actually remember this because I went on, it was a place called Hidden Palace where they talk about prototypes of games. And so someone had said they found a prototype of an earlier version of this game under the name Contra 4. Right. Crazy. So the first two Contra games uh, were originally originally arcade games that were then ported to the NDS like in the late 80s, Contra and Super C. Contra 3 is a very close spiritual successor to those two games, incorporates a lot of the same gameplay features, stages, that kind of ideas. So nothing really too radical or different like this game. There was also a game made later on the Genesis called Contra Hardcore that is also very good. It runs a little bit faster and a little bit more frantic gameplay than Contra 3 because of the faster processor that the Genesis has. But the graphics and music are, in my mind, not as good as Contra 3 is. Still, it's a very good game. And had you played Contra 3 on the Game Boy, it holds up surprisingly well. It's which not version? a bad port. Right, which uh, version? So there's, there's Operation C, which is right. uh, its own game yep. that kind of came out around the same time as Super C on the NES, but it's an original game, uh, Operation C. So there's Contra 3, Alien Wars on the Game Boy, which was brought out by Factor 5, who had done Turrican games. And so that version of the game is pretty much a pretty faithful port of the SNES game, except they took out the bike level. Everything else is pretty similar, except for like the the top-down stages, which I know you're going to get into. They don't rotate in the Game Boy version, of course, because it didn't have Mode 7. There you go. (laughs) Right. 
Yes, also, that's a very good port of the game also, uh, which came out back in 1994, and the game was also re-released again later on, also for the Game Boy Advance in 2002. That's also very close to the Super NES version. The main difference in that version is that, uh, like I said, the two overhead stages were taken out and replaced by two stages from Contra Hardcore. Which is really interesting to me, that they would uh, mix and match those games together. Well, there are stages that are kind of similar between the games, and the, the fact that you can climb and hang on ledges in both games that it, it doesn't make them too dissimilar right right contra games after this point were kind of hit or miss there were some very bad playstation contra games that came out but uh my two favorite contra games that come out in more recent years have been contra shattered soldier for the playstation 2 and contra 4 for the ds anybody who thinks that they can that the, that, they, that the original contra games are a piece of cake that can go through the whole game with like one life of play about dying. You need to try these two games. These two games, Shadow Soldier and Contra 4, will kick your ass seven ways to Sunday. Like how difficult that they are. <laughs> Definitely. Chad, can you speak from personal experience? No, I've actually watched videos on them, and <laughs> none of them have actually gotten very far. Uh, yeah, I owned Contra Shattered Soldier on PS2, and I never made it past like the second level. And then Contra 4, I want to say I made it to like the third level, and then that was it. I needed more practice. I just wasn't very good at it. Yeah. But well, the it- music was amazing in that game because it was done by Jake Kaufman, a.k.a. Vert. And he's done so much amazing music. He just did the music for Shovel Knight. He did music on Retro City Rampage. He's been all over the place, but he did the music right. He remixed tracks from the like all the Contra games and did some original music. Awesome game. Like I wish he was around back in the day when some of the like the older NES and Super Nintendo games came out, so he could have done music back then. Yeah, interesting. I didn't know that. Uh, like it's always nice to hear like connections uh, with people who work in this game and that game or, or, or that stuff over the years. So, uh, Aaron, um, I think you've talked a little bit about this before, like in your own podcast, but did you have a Super NES uh, back in the day? Yeah. Yeah. So the way it worked for me was I went from having uh, I had an Apple II computer. I had an NES. And then right after the NES, like a few years later, we got uh, Sega Genesis. And then uh, to top it off, I, I mean, I came from a big family. So one of my brothers had a job and he ended up buying a Super Nintendo. The other systems I think we got for Christmas. And so we had a Sega Genesis and a Super Nintendo. So it wasn't like we had that rivalry, you know, like you have with the kid down the street or something like, oh, well, my game's better or, you know, whatever. Like we had both systems. So we were very fortunate that we could try most games that we wanted to. So this was one of the earliest games I remember playing on the Super Nintendo, along with games like Super Ghouls and Ghosts, Super Mario World, I think UN Squadron, you know, games like that that are just high action and very exciting to play. I remember us gathered around the TV and my mom watching us playing pilot wings and she was getting disoriented because she wasn't used to the crazy mode seven in that game. (laughs) And my (laughs) brothers like convinced my mom to play the game. Like my mom never played video games, but they got her to play pilot wings and she's like, okay, I'm never doing this again. (laughs) She's like, what am I doing? Like she was doing the skydiving level. And she was like, she was freaking out because it felt so real to her. <laughs> Yo, thanks a lot, Super Nintendo. <laughs> right. Uh, you made my mom sick. <laughs> uh, gonna hurl. <laughs> this game should have been a commercial. With a morph bag. <laughs> this should have been a commercial. Super Nintendo. Adults can't handle it. 
Yeah, I did pretty well with games. The only game that's really made me nauseous or dizzy was at zero I like for the GameCube on a big screen TV. That's some of those tracks where you go upside down, that kind of stuff. That's the only game that actually physically made me dizzy. Yeah, like that game goes impossibly fast. I know exactly what you're talking about. Connecticut is bad too. So Chad, what's your history with Contra 3? Uh, when did you first play it? We actually got this game. I don't remember when we got it. I remember having it. I think me and my brother actually picked this up from EB Games. I think it was an accident. I think I was looking for Battletoads, and this was in the box. So anyway, <laughs> we got this game, and it was so incredibly cool. Me and my brother played this nonstop, uh, and then we had a problem kind of beating it, and we stopped playing it, and we played like uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Tournament Fighters, or something like that. And then we came back to this, and then we came, we went and played something else, and then we came back to this, and eventually we got so into it, we eventually beat it, and then they started us over at Hardcore or something like that. Anyway, we played this nonstop, and then I let somebody borrow it in uh -oh. junior high, and yeah. <laughs> I know where this is going. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not finishing that story because I'm still kind of upset about it. Been there, done that. So You're punching a table right now, I can hear it. <laughs> oh man! Right, fifteen. Golly, same thing years is happening. I'm still pissed. Yeah, I'm I'm still mad at like the kid who borrowed my copy of Life Force on the NES, or the other kid who borrowed my copy of Super Spike V Ball, or. You know, there's uh, always these kids who, like, just never return your stuff. Yep. <laughs> or they just steal it. Like, there was, um, I think it was a story I shared on, on our show where a kid just came by. My brothers and my sister weren't around. I was the only person in the room. He knocked on the window. He's like, hey, man, can I see your games? I'm like, what, five, six? I'm like, sure, man, here you go. I hand him all my NES games, and he just walks off. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, if you want to talk about still being mad about something, it's like, uh, that's back when they cost some money, yeah. you know? Yeah, no kidding. We weren't rich. No. Well, this game still costs still costs uh, quite a lot of money, like an eBay. So we'll get like into that like, later on. But this game Contra game... seems to hold its value. Yes. I've noticed that. Just like you know, Mario games, even though a ton of copies of the game were printed, yes. it just has a lot of value because it's a good game. Oh, and it's a good series. I eventually found the cart about, I guess, a month ago in a game exchange and i overpaid for it i know i overpaid for it but it was one of those games that i've been looking for for so long and it kept slipping out of my grasp i just paid for it i didn't even I care think, at that point i just wanted it yeah <laughs> <laughs> i want to say that there was one year where my brother picked up now just don't tell the authorities but he got me a, an snes copier so we had a super wild card dx2 or whatever mm. And yeah. it, somehow it came with like 300 floppy disks, like it was an Amiga or something. <laughs> right. And so you had all these games, and the one I must have had stuck in there the longest was Contra 3 mm. Alien Wars, because I would play that nonstop on there, too. Well, I knew I wanted this game, uh, like the moment I first saw it advertised, like in a sneak preview issue of Nintendo Power, like talking about Super NES back in the 1990, because I've always been a huge fan uh, of the franchise, like since Contra and Super C came out. I spent countless hours just playing those games as a kid, just really getting good at it, so good to the point that I could speedrun the games with like one life 
uh, just all the way through like both games. So this is definitely one of several games that convinced me to point up the money to get a Super NES as opposed to Genesis. I told this story before like in a past podcast, but uh, Super NES was one of the first major purchases I made like my own money. And I knew that if, I knew that as soon as this game came out that I wanted to get it. And this game, along with several other games like Actriser and Super Castlevania 4 and the Apollo Wings were games were games I love to show off like my Sega friends who were like, hey, let me show you how superior the system is. You know, check out this game. So just blown away like the graphics and the sound and everything else this game could do. Just totally awesome. It still holds up very well to very well today, I think. This is still my favorite game with like the Contra franchise. I certainly do not regret pulling up some very precious hard-earned money to pick up the game when it came out originally back in April of 1992. So definitely an excellent game and definitely a game I thought that really did a great job of showing off what the Super NES could actually do. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, and definitely. It was it was definitely an impressive game that early in the Super Nintendo's library because I remember playing, it was Gradius 3 and being just so frustrated because you play that game and you expect it to be like the other Gradiuses where, uh, or, you know, Life Force, where there was no slowdown and it was just the gameplay just kept going and going. But once you got enough objects on the screen in that game, the game would just slow to a halt. Um, yeah. And, and Contra 3 does it a little bit. Yes. But it's kind of actually to your benefit. <laughs> like when you get to the first boss of the first level and he starts spamming bullets and stuff at you and whatever scorpion things he's throwing at you. Like if you throw out your super bomb, which is a great feature of this game, by the way, you throw out that super bomb and the game like literally goes Matrix style and starts slowing <laughs> down on you. And so you've got time to see, you know, you can see those bullets, you can jump out of the way. So I call that a feature. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, you know, I don't remember there being a whole lot of slowdown to this game. There's a little bit. It's not like Contra Force levels, but... Right. <laughs> I mean, it was like, um, oh my gosh, I'm, there is so much going on on the screen. And yes. with all the slowdown in uh, Strike Gunner and um, even Earth Defense Force, like we were discussing last week, with everything going on in the screen all at the same time, there's not a whole lot of slowdown going on in it. And yeah, that like, in uh, itself was pretty impressive with the system. Yes. Yeah, I think it's only when you throw out that super bomb and there's a lot of enemies on screen or if there's something really important going on, I think that's when it starts to slow down a little bit. Yeah, but I think they almost do that intentionally, though, just because Possibly. it's an awesome weapon. It's possible. I don't know. Okay, though. so that's a that's a new feature on your show. Is it a bug? <laughs> or is it a feature? <laughs> right? It's an awesome <laughs> effect. <laughs> uh, you, you never know. Yeah. Okay, so so before I know we're going to go on and talk about everything, bug or feature, the, the fact that you can, I don't know, this blows my mind. You can go grab the laser weapon, and you can grab the, uh, I guess they're, they're the missiles, and if you alternate between them really fast, is that a bug or a feature? Because that almost breaks the <laughs> weapon system. It makes it a lot easier to get through the game. Unintentional feature? Unintentional feature. There you go. No, it's a really good, I mean, it's a really good strategy to it, though. Yeah, it's because it makes you, it, it lets you shoot your missiles a lot faster, because I think they're the most powerful weapon. I mean, everyone goes for that spread shot. Don't get me wrong. I, yeah, no, I'm not. I really mean, I love the spread shot. shot in the first game, and I like the fact in this game that you start out with rapid fire. But once you get those missiles, you're like, okay, I can't shoot these fast enough because they're, you know, taking down bad guys left and right. And the laser is so obscenely slow. You almost just 
I mean, you got to you have to use it in combination with the missiles, or just stick to using them on the overhead stages where it turns into like a lightsaber. <laughs> yeah. Oh, definitely. You almost have to take advantage to it. You know, they had to do that on purpose, though. They had to know when they did it, because I mean, it ended up being so critical to me with some of my strategies. Because I love the missiles and yeah, um, missiles I love the lasers, but I really didn't like the laser by itself. But then I figured well, that out when I was a kid and it was on. And here's something I noticed too. And I'm sorry, I'll, I'll let you jump back in, Greg. So it felt like to me in the 16-bit era, especially, that a lot of these run and gun games were starting to give you the ability to switch between weapons. I think it's because they had more memory. But what I liked about this game, of course, is that you can kind of manage like, okay, I better go pick up this pickup. And it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to lose it immediately. But what I, I kind of wish it was like was, um, and it's not, obviously, is Gunstar Heroes. Because what I love about that game is that you can combine your weapons and suddenly like that laser weapon, which stinks, is suddenly like, god tier because you can combine it with your homing which is really crappy in any game i i say never include homing ever again right uh, but if you like in that game if you combine the laser and the homing like you are unstoppable well i think on star heroes came out later on didn't it so like, i think it came out like a year or a year and a half and it was like ex konami guys who right. went and formed treasure and made that game so they had the benefit of knowing what worked and what didn't work in the past so exactly they're like okay this is what was really fun about contra 3 here's and what was not so fun. a lot more familiar <laughs> with the system anyway yeah everybody yeah. was so i mean they could Definitely. really take advantage of what the system could do this game was really impressive for coming out so early, though, and it's almost like yes. they wanted to throw the, the kitchen sink into it because you've got things like, oh, we have to use every button on the Super Nintendo controller. You <laughs> find games that have that syndrome. It's like, we have to use every button. Right. And so, you know, you've got the ability to use L and R together to do your, your stupid flashy jump in the air and shoot all around you move that doesn't really do much and you've got yeah, the other useful with actually uh you know just standing still and being able to <laughs> aim diagonally though yes it's it's very critical to use that r button in spots so that you you have a fixed shot instead of yeah. a free shot yeah yeah no i i totally agree with that but like you almost do the the L and R move as a kind of a taunt. Like I've got these guns and I'm gonna shoot my guns everywhere, and I don't America. care if they're not gonna do much. There's there's only one place in the game where it really becomes a strategy. When you're playing this game on hard mode, and you get to one of the overhead stages, sometimes those annoying guys that hide behind their turrets that you've got to go blow up, sometimes they won't pop out. Yes, and you've got to fire with your L and R shot to get them to pop. I don't know why it's like that, but sometimes they will not pop at all until you either like run up to them like an idiot without a gun or you do your L&R shot. It's really weird. Well, it's not just this game, but uh, but during the NES and Super NES days, I absolutely loved Konami. Konami was the only company that I actually had full confidence in being able to go into a store and pick up one of their games and buy it without knowing anything about the game at all. Because as long as it said Konami on it, I knew it was guaranteed a good game. Because because there was not one game that they made for like the NES, Super NES uh, that you know that I did not like. Uh, Except all... for Contra Force, that game should not bear the the Contra name at all. It, it's just it was almost like that was a completely different. Um, like completely the music was Konami. 
Uh, it was great. It, mm. it, I almost wonder if like they let some other team make it that wasn't Konami because it does not feel like Contra. It feels like some other companies like, oh, I know what a Contra game plays like. <laughs> Uh, and, you know, like, we'll make it so, you know, you can pick from different characters, we have different weapons, and then we'll introduce horrible, horrible slowdown. <laughs> okay, there is that one exception, but everything else is pretty good, so. <laughs> pretty much. No, yeah, Konami was pretty quality on the NES. Like, almost every game they put out on there was was pretty good. Plus the Super NES also. I mean, they made a, oh, yeah. a whole bunch of great Super NES games. Like this game came out only a few months after Super Castlevania 4 came out, which is also an awesome game. So uh, they put out um, Prince of Persia, which is probably my favorite version of the game. Yep, was the Konami version. I think they got someone else to develop it, but they yes. put it out. Yep. And uh, Super Nintendo version is like if I wasn't talking about Contra 3 on the show, I would have <laughs> been like, we need to talk Prince of Persia. <laughs> right. Uh, well, maybe we'll have you back on again later on, like for that game, because it is a great game. Yeah. All right. You'll see me next week. (laughs) (laughs) So for those of you out there who show a very minimal experience with the Contra franchise, here's a couple uh, bits of the uh, like some trivia and some background for you. Contra 3, as we already mentioned, is the third game in the series. It's a typical side-scrolling action game. It's like your objective is just to blow a whole bunch of uh, soldiers up and whatnot. There are six stages all together in the game, guys. I think that's right. Uh, I think by the fifth stage, you are on the bike stage, and then the sixth stage is the sand stage, and then I thought the seventh stage was the alien layer stage. Okay, seven stages. Am then. I wrong? Uh, yeah. Okay. So the game in Japan was known as Contra Spirits. Like in Europe, the previous games uh, had gone under the, I think it's pronounced like Probotector a yeah. game. So Yeah, Probotector is correct. It's like in Europe, this game was released as Super Probotector. Uh, Alien Rebel, which is a pretty cool sounding game, if you ask me, to have that title. So that works pretty well, too. Um, they have some awesome names for games. <laughs> Better than ours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you know what? I think, so I was going to say, my mistake, because I looked at the instruction manual just now, and yeah, there are six levels. Six very strangely named levels in this game. Uh, so the game came out in Japan in February of 1992. It saw North American released in April of that year, and then came out in Europe like in November. We've already mentioned that the game was also ported on later on to the Game Boy and Game Boy Advance, and the game's currently available on the Virtual Console. If you have, like, a Wii, you can get it that way. Compared to the Contra and Super C games, where Konami had changed the game plot and story a little bit for, like, American release, uh, they kept the story the same this time before its worldwide release. Uh, because Contra Super C were originally designed to be futuristic uh, settings, whereas for the U.S. release, they changed it to fit to be more of a modern present-day setting. Take advantage of the whole action movie franchise high that's going on in the 80s with a, uh, like a Schwarzenegger and Stallone kind of stuff. So this game definitely pays homage to its roots, like, like in that sense, and keeping the very muscle-toting, twin-gun-bearing guys as the main heroes of the game. So the game takes place in 2636, and you're controlling uh, the descendants of Bill and Lance in the first two games, uh, Jimbo and Sully. A great, <laughs> yeah, I know, great names. <laughs> you, know, you know what? Playing that game, I was just like, I'm the red guy, and you're the blue guy. I would have never thought, like, I'm Jimbo. You know, yeah. uh, me, and, uh, me and my brother used to say that we were controlling uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone because. Yeah. Back then, you know, that was like the two biggest action stars, yep. period. Yeah. We always used to like fantasize we were controlling those two. <laughs> Chad, get down now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Get to the chapel. <laughs> oh my gosh. I can't yeah, do a good You're going to have to do that one for me. Yeah. So the game has six stages, and it has, um, and it also has two overhead stages, uh, stage two and stage five, which instead of being uh, a pure overhead look that Contra and Super C used, these are more a, um, split screen stages that made full advantage of the, of the mode seven effects of the Super NES slip like a do. Had you going around various areas trying to destroy uh, fixed gunpoints, be able to trigger the boss to show up. Uh, by the advance of the game. Very interesting. A very curious design choice. I think these stages are probably the only weakness of the game. I'll mention it right now. The only weakness about the game I think the game has is these stages because while Mode 7 was awesome back in the day and it really showed off how impressive the hardware and scaling it could be, like like a lot of PlayStation 3, uh, early 3D games, it not, Mode 7 has not aged very well. So the graphics in these two stages are not quite as sharp or detailed as the rest of the game is. And it kind of looks ugly just like when the game zooms in for you and whatnot. And the whole split screen thing is very confusing sometimes, I think. On the menu screen, if you're playing two-player, you have the option of doing either two-player A and two-player B. And two-player A has you has both of you on the same screen, whereas two-player B has you on split screens. So you're playing this with somebody else. I highly recommend that you set up two-player A because it's a lot easier to control <laughs> and you don't have to deal with that stupid split-screen hassle that I hate so much. Oh, my gosh. I think me and Aaron can tell you from recent experience, it is incredibly um, – oh, my gosh. It really takes you – a minute to um to get your bearings yes. about you because i literally walked off the cliff thinking i was going the opposite direction yeah they changed the controls around I, and i think you had it flip-flop i was just doing the manual here so b mode is the one where you're both on the same screen a mode is the one where you both control your own split screen and uh it, it is very disorienting because you, you'll think that you'll play it exactly like you did in, in one-player mode, and it's like, no, <laughs> it's going to be a little bit different. And I wanted to address your point about the Mode 7 also. Just like what I was saying before, where they were trying to pull every Super Nintendo trick that they could in this game, and definitely that's what they were going for in this level. And I think these levels are enjoyable, especially once you get to the boss section, where it becomes a lot of fun. But having to do the hunts and peck, you're not, I mean, just like the hunting for the different enemies to kill kind of slows the game down a little bit. Because if you play like the Contra Hardcore's Sega Genesis, like that game is constant. Go, go, go. It's like the caffeinated younger brother of Contra 3. <laughs> In this game, it's nice to have a little bit of a break from the frenetic action, but it almost slows down too much. You hit the select button and you open up your map screen. And you're like, OK, where do I got to go next? Uh, I mean, thankfully, there's some arrows that kind of guide you yeah. where to go, but that can be frustrating when you're like, okay, where's the last turret so I can get done with the stage? Hmm. <laughs> but I mean, if you play it like three or four times, it's pretty easy. You get used to it. You, yeah, you like you, you know it. it in your head. But the split screen thing, they kind of switch it to where you're always strafing instead of using your L and R buttons. And um, that kind of really disorients me but i can see why they would want to do that because if you do the split screen then you could take out multiple tourists at once it really i don't know it, it could be fun if they did it right yeah that's how the speed runs on youtube are done uh like having like they have the one player start off in one area of the map another start off at the other area of the map and they can clear that stage in like in like 30 seconds flat 
So if you're playing the game like somebody who knows the game just as well as you do, you know, that definitely that could be like a powerful advantage. Yes. Yeah, and especially if you use that weapon trick, if you've got laser and you've got missile on the overhead stage, those turret guys become a lot more manageable. Even if you have like the flame, I want to talk about the flame a little bit. So the flame is exactly how it is. It's not the same as it is in Contra and Super C. It's gone through like three different iterations. Like if you remember in the first Contra, yes. it's kind of like a loop-de-loop. Yeah. And then in the second game, it's kind of like a a big ball of fire and then it explodes on impact. Mm. Uh, I like the weapon in both games, actually. And this one is even cooler because now it's a flamethrower that you can kind of direct around. And what makes it good on the overhead stages is that it's the only weapon in the game that can actually shoot over walls. Right. And, and that is a definite advantage when you creep up to one of those turret guys and they're, you know, kind of hiding in their shell. Or those, uh, I, I guess you call them things. turtles. <laughs> those caterpillar things are awful. Oh, it yeah. Takes when they sneak so up behind much you. to kill them. I know what you mean. But if you use that trick, though, if you've got that trick going, you can kill any enemy on that stage in like a second. So we might as well talk about the weapons with the weapons right now. Since we've already, like, you know, since talked I keep about jumping them, like, into bits. it. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's fine. Like in past Contra games, you have a lot of weapons that have, you have a lot of weapons that have come back. You start off with a machine gun this time. Uh, like no rifle, so that's good. Um, and Zaren just mentioned the flamethrower has gone through another change again, like for this game. I don't use the flamethrower very much. It does have those powerful advantages that Aaron just mentioned, especially in the overhead views. I, I consider the flamethrower to be more of a uh, expert weapon uh, that, that requires some skill and finesse to be able to use uh, to, to to its full effect. Chad, uh, what's your opinion uh, like in the flamethrower? I actually like the flamethrower quite a bit. The range is really limited especially on the level with the wall guy it can get kind of it, it has its disadvantages but the spinning thing the rotating thing you can actually shoot through that instead of having it try, trying to like go all the way around and wait till you get to that one spot and um you could take him out really quickly it's also Are very you talking about powerful. the uh Sorry, are you talking about the... I think you're talking about the enemy on level 3, right? Where it's kind of like yes. a helicopter type thing? Yes. But he's got like a he's got like a, a blade, a series of blades that spin around that you, you can jump on. You have to grab that blade. Yeah, and it's crazy. So it's almost like the boss becomes part of the stage and you have to jump on the blade and it spins around and you can only catch him when you're underneath his head, basically. Right. And, and um, he goes what was, down... What was his name? Oh, it's, he's called Chrome Dome in the manual. There you go. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I haven't had him in one so long. I didn't know he was called. And if you are in the wrong position, when he goes down, you're going down with him. Oh, yeah, and it goes, like, super fast. Like, those yes. blades, like, once you beat him, it's like, you better jump out of the way because you're going to spin, like, super duper fast, and you're going to fly off the screen. Right, right. And, um, and you're going to have a bad time. Right, but... <laughs> He, if you jump off and he's off over on your area, you will automatically grab onto him and just go down with him. That happened to me a couple of times. But um, <laughs> yes. the flamethrower, it really helps out because you can kind right of shoot yes. down on him from any direction you want and just take him out so quickly. And then it's really powerful when it's trying to take out those stupid rolling turret things that I think Star oh. Wars stole from. 
<laughs> yes, you're talking about level three, and like they're much more uh, rampant if you do hard mode. Yes. And what about the worst part of that level, I think, though? Because that's a really cool level and an example of why this game is great is because you have to talk about this level like it's in different sections um, because it's not just a side-scrolling stage. It goes into a vertical section. It does some crazy rotations. You've got those turret guys. You've got these, uh, and these you got that drop really annoying birds, those yes. birds or whatever. Yes, but I mean, so it only takes like a, like a second, but... If there's one up above that can't see you, I mean that you can't see, he'll just swoop down, grab onto you, and drop you off the thing. Yeah. So, and then you're in another section, and then it's a troop ship, and you have to, and that's when the um, that's when that flamethrower comes in real handy, but because it's a continuous kind of fire, and you don't actually have to um, just continuously fire into them. I mean, you just kind of touch them in a the flame, and they're dead. And you can kind of just kind of swing that thing around like a sort of like a rope. It takes them out so quickly. So the laser is another weapon that I think requires like a more uh, fine touch to be able to handle and get used to. They at least made the laser a much more practical weapon to use in this game compared to the last two games. Because the laser in Condor Super C was sucked really, I thought. As far as its as far as its use, I really liked how in this game not only did they make the laser like more efficient, but they also actually changed how it varies in its power and use. If you're playing side scrolling stage versus an overhead stage, because if you got the laser in the uh, side scrolling stages, the laser shot crosses the entire screen. Whereas in the latter, as the overhead stages, as Aaron mentioned previously, uh, it, it turns into more of like a, a Star Wars like saber weapon that can be very effective for being able to hack your enemies at short range. During those overhead stages, I think the laser becomes a very powerful and useful weapon. Yeah, no, the laser, as long as you, you combine it with something else powerful, it can be really good. Like if you've got the, the missiles or even if you use the spread. I have to say, though, the spread weapon, I feel like they kind of nerfed it <laughs> between this game and the first and second game where like they were the weapon of choice. Like you had to use that weapon. I feel like in this game, they kind of lessened its power just a little bit. To where they they really wanted you, yeah, they wanted you to switch to using these different weapons for different situations. So I kind of I keep spread on hand unless I've got the the missile laser combo, and then when yeah. I die, of course, I pick it up, pick up another spread, and the spreads come out, especially in the first level. You're like, wow, I got two spreads in a row. What's going on here? I think it's because you know you got you're supposed to have two players. Yeah, right or there. it's like. They want you to use your L and R move and like, look at me, I got two spread guns. <laughs> you just sit there. Did you ever just sit there as a kid and you're just standing there like bearing your guns? You're like, yeah, I'm awesome. And you just keep on jumping. And because <laughs> there's no time limit in this game, you can just sit there on the screen and oh, I know. I spam party lives. like it's 1999 or something. <laughs> I used to I used to spam lives. I used to not shoot the car in the very beginning. <laughs> And yeah. I would jump over that car and just keep my back to that and just shoot, keep shooting the enemies. And I would hold, I would like tape a penny to the button and go to bed. You'd wake up with a bunch of lives, wouldn't you? Yes. <laughs> yes, you would. No, <laughs> so it's cool. If, if you destroy the, um, what, what do they call them in here? They call them man face mutts. Those, uh, those dogs with the creepy faces. Yes. If you blow them up in time, because they rush across the screen, if you can catch them, then I think they actually give you an extra life. They give you a ton of points. Yeah. 
I don't know if they actually that makes sense then. Like no, you're right. They probably don't life. give you an extra life, but they give you a ton of points that go towards your score and your extra lives. Yeah, yeah. Now the laser. Sorry, I changed subject. But anyway. <laughs> way to go, Chad. <laughs> Never coming no. on here again. My ADD at work, dude. What can I Chad say? Chad has interrupt us. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fine, Chad. I hate to talk both about the laser and the shit right here. <laughs> the laser is awesome. To me, if you, like uh, Aaron had talked about earlier, if you switch off, like, really fast with your, like, your missile or whatever, you're basically almost unstoppable. And Until then, you run into something and die. Yes. That's what happens to me. Yes. I pull a stupid move. I accidentally, you know how you can drop down when you're hanging on a ledge and you hold down accidentally because you want to drop down to another one or something. And then, like, when you meant to jump, you drop down and you die. When I want to pull an action movie move. Oh, yeah. Yeah, when I get all cocky and jump and I want to uh -huh. get fancy, that's when I die. Yeah, <laughs> that's about right. Right. And then on the overhead stages, the laser and the flamethrower or the missile, either of those three are the weapons to have. In this game, those have got to be my three favorite weapons period and then when you couple the laser with any of those weapons you're set to me well, anyway. I, right well i definitely agree with aaron to talk about the spread i still love the spread i still usually have a spread on me like at all times uh but they definitely downplayed the weapon a little bit to encourage you i think to try out some of these other like a, more weapons because i think they realize in past games that 95 percent of the players were going to use the spread like all the time so uh, the spread's still a very useful weapon, uh, like it's a wide range, like in everything, and it's certainly handy to be able to use to fend off packs of enemies coming at you. It's not the be-all, end-all, God-fearing weapon that it was in the third games, though. No, um, the, the spread, I gotta be honest, if I have a choice between the spread and the missile, I'm going with the missile. Or even the laser, because a laser will go through enemies and go into other enemies. So, you know, that's a plus on that. Yeah, the homing missile is my favorite weapon of the game. Uh, this, so this is the one I use that, that I use most of the time. So my preferred game style is to have a homing as one of the weapons and either have the spread or the uh, like the crush as the other weapon. Because I realize the homing is not perfect. It doesn't always home in uh, like in all enemies. Uh, sometimes weak. Y yes, it's weak, but it does fire very rapidly, very effective at covering your top and back sides. Uh, because in this game, this particularly, is true. particularly with the 16-bit processor and extra power, in this game, they love to throw enemies at you from all directions. Uh, the homing gun is very effective for helping to keep them off your backs. Basically uh, the same strategy as we mentioned in Earth Defense Force. Yes. So uh, the homing is weak, but and it's not perfect at being able to get all your enemies. I tend to use most of the time just, just because it is so effective to keep the masses of enemy uh, off you. Because if you thought you had a lot of guys coming at you from Contra and Super C, you ain't say nothing until you play this game. You know what's funny, though? If you take three guys and put them together, every one of them will have a different strategy going with weapons. I can see this already. <laughs> yeah. No, that's that's very true. You go with what you know. Like, because when I when I played this when I was a kid, I was all about the spread weapon. And then now that I'm playing it, I'm like, uh, the spread weapon isn't as great as it used to be. You know, when I was a kid, <laughs> I used to be all about the homing. Yeah, me me too. Yeah, I was. I was all, all about, about that. the homing. 
And then I played it with you and I caught myself jumping over the homie and not even wanting it and going after the missile and laser or missile and flamethrower or something like that. I think the missile ended up being my favorite weapon of choice in this game. Um, Did you notice uh, one thing I want to mention, too, was that when you're playing two player, your weapon strategy kind of changes because you're not always picking up the power up you want because the other player picks it up. And then the other thing is, you know, suddenly you've got two people that can cover both ends of the screen. And so, yeah, like we didn't do it so much because we're just like, all right, we're going to run through this guns of blazing, whatever. And we died. Yeah, I think we were kind of <laughs> testing out the program, then we weren't playing the game. Yeah. But, yeah, um, we're like, uh, no, this isn't our A game, but uh, we're having fun. Yeah, you <laughs> know, we were kind of more amazed that we were doing it more than that we were uh, more than actually playing the more game. More than succeeding, yeah. Yeah, um, we'll we'll explain more about that later. <laughs> but um, uh, it's actually... Uh, not to mention, your strategy differs a lot, too, to playing two players, because you kind of want to grab different weapons, because certain weapons are more effective against certain enemies certain stages. So, and one person with, like, for example, like, laser and flamethrower, and somebody else with shotgun homer is a very effective strategy in making sure that you guys can, can handle any kind of situation that comes up. Right. You know, that, it's um, really important to watch each other's backs in this, in this game. You have to work together. And, you know, if you use player two as the meat shield, you make sure you take the good weapons and they get the crap. So that way, when they die and they lose all their weapons, it won't affect you. Oh, you were the little brother. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was the younger brother. I was. I used to play this with my older brother uh, all the time. Yeah, I, I was the, the youngest brother. of five. My brother, yeah, yeah, my brother was a little brother. He could tell you all about that. <laughs> did, you, uh, did we talk about the live sharing? Because that was another thing that happened in this game in Super Mario World. And a few others where it's like, you lose all your lives. They're like, hey, you know what? My brother's still got some lives. They oh, some I fun. jacked a bunch of yours. <laughs> yeah. uh, I guess it's definitely great that Konami gave you the ability in this game, as well as several other games, to be able to take a life like the player, like if you run out. It can be abused, but it also allows a player who's not as good or experienced with the game to play, to play effectively and have fun with somebody who is very skilled at the game. Because then that inexperienced person can borrow lives as need be, but the experienced player doesn't really need them. So it really allows for two players of different of different skill sets to be able to play together, where otherwise if that feature wasn't in the game, that that really wouldn't be possible. You know, you can tell. I mean, because if you do a stupid move and you lose your life, and then the other player has gained another couple of lives because of points or something like that, and you have to have that other player to get through the level. Um, if that player can get as far in the level as they can and you can come up, I can see where that would work. Because like in the uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle games and on the uh, NES, the third one, something would happen, one of us would die or something like that. And we were almost like, oh, we might as well give up now. I mean, this is over. We got to have two players to finish this, you know, yeah. and um, I can see where they came up with because I don't know how many of y'all know this. I'm sure most of you, but Ultra oh, is. Oh, I know it. Tommy. I don't know. what. I'm just kidding. Oh, yeah, I know what you're going to say, Chad. I'm yeah. <laughs> uh Aaron, I'm pretty sure you know everything there is to know about video games. What? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, 
the live sharing is it was a genius move to me but at the same time it was kind of a common threat coming out of our bedroom if you take another one of my lives i'm gonna take yours <laughs> in real life i'm gonna hit you with this controller got the scars to prove it they actually have a child that's all i can say right it must have been an argument over a video game or something but i i have a scar that my brother gave me from he, he, I think we're playing a game, and he got mad at me, and he knocked my head into the windowsill. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> I've still got the mark on my forehead. I'll show you sometime. <laughs> it's probably from Contra 3. So the last major weapon that Contra 3 has, I know he's mentioned yet, uh, like the Crush. And the Crush is probably one of the most... A, um, controversial weapons of the game because they're very short range. It is, however, extremely powerful. I usually like having a crush on me at all times because the crush is very powerful in taking out certain bosses. Some bosses, like for example, the boss fighting in stage one, that's well-placed crushes can take them out in no time flat. But if you know what you're doing, the crush can be a very powerful, effective boss killer. Outside of boss mode, though, crush is really a very difficult weapon to use and not all that effective. It kind of reminds me about the laser from the previous Contra games and fighting short range, fighting efficiency. Um, but, okay, I'm going to stop you right there. If you use, because I kept on calling it the missile gun, that's the crush gun. Yes. If you use it with a laser, if you switch them off, it becomes literally the best weapon combination in the game. Because yeah, that slow yeah. firing speed of the crush gun suddenly gets doubled. And so that weakness that you thought it had, suddenly it's a strength. Because now you can just fire it like crazy. And so you can take out that first boss in like four seconds. Like oh my gosh. He, he's coming towards you and he fires like two shots and he's dead. Oh, man, I take him out so quickly with laser anyway. He doesn't even get a shot off until he's already blowing up. But, yeah, like I was saying earlier, this weapon with the laser, you're set. <laughs> uh, Chad, I'm just waiting for you to do like a blindfolded speed run. Uh, <laughs> I could do it on the console probably. I could have done know, it. Seven lives, like, easy like, mode, 10. I'll do it. <laughs> when I was like uh, 10 or 11, I could have. See, I could do like the Battle Toads, level three turbo tunnels. I could do that blindfolded just because I've done it so many times that it becomes muscle memory. Right, left, right, left. And, I, and it actually, I go with the music. Like, I know the music enough. You're like, okay, this is what's happening in the track at this time. Yeah. <laughs> you also are given to start off the game three smart bombs. Uh, and you can pick up additional bombs as you go through the game. Uh, these bombs are a new feature to the game. They're very. So very nice to have. You do lose your bombs if you get killed, but the bombs can be very effective for taking out massive enemies. Like if you're about to be killed, it's a last-ditch weapon, and it's also very effective for stopping up bosses. Basically, just it does um, it does what the name implies. It takes out enemies on, on screen. So having these bombs in this game is a very like nice touch to help compensate for like the higher difficulty levels that the game tosses at you like as you go on. You know, I tend to forget that the bomb is even there until I'm at a boss or something like that. And I'm like, oh, wait, I got this. I <laughs> <laughs> you see that. You just keep on spamming it. Yes. Um, but what I like about that bomb, too, is that if you die, it gives you an extra bomb. Yes. Andy. Yes. Like, so this game, I was talking about the stages like a little bit here. Well, we already have some, but let's kind of just go through a quick blow by blow of all the stages. 
Uh, but let me start off with saying that this game sold me right away at stage one. Just the fact that you could actually carry two guns at once. The graphics are excellent. Uh, they're still good to this day. Uh, they're very sharp, detailed, uh, really show off the colorful sprites and boys of Super NES. The music is awesome. It's a very hard-driving rock beat that, that, that fits the mood and tempo of like which stage. And the moment I played the game the first time and I was able to blow up that car right away to start the game, I'm like, oh, hell yes, I'm sold. So it just, like, <laughs> it's, like, it blew awesome. my mind when we could knock a switch off weapons. It That's literally awesome rush. Yeah. I was like, why is that up there? You know, it took me about two weeks of solid play to accidentally <laughs> hit the X button and switch off a weapon. That's why I always read the manual first. Just saying. Yeah, manual. <laughs> what manual? RTFM. <laughs> thing I really like about this game, too, is that you really didn't know what to expect with the bosses. No. Isn't the... So the difference between this one and the other games is they kind of introduced like a scare factor to the game, almost like a horror element in that like bosses are popping out of the wall and uh, like in the the third level, you know, you've got this crazy boss like, you know, you fight these two small humanoid skeleton type creatures and then you, you waste them or whatever and, you know, you're hanging from the ceiling you think you beat the level. And then, like, this huge uh, biroid, whatever you call it, he, like, opens up the back of the stage. <laughs> it's like this enormous head. Yes. And he starts, you know, wobbling all over the place. It's just so freaky. He actually reminded me of, I don't know if you guys have ever played Snatcher on the yes. Sega CD, but yes. he looks exactly like a Snatcher. So, Oh, man, it was so... It did have that scare factor because... You never knew what was going to pop up next. You never knew when that building was going to crumble and the tank was going to pop out. Or you never knew when um, when the airplane was going to come and drop the bombs and put the whole place in fire. Yeah, I was going to say, stage one, Konami really, really pulled out all the stops in trying to press the game player who's showing off not only what the system could do, I thought, but also what the game could do. Because everything you're introduced to in stage one, you have that awesome bit like of the plane, as Chad was talking about, coming down, screaming down the bombs and, and, and like, like developing the whole ground in flame for a while, being required to jump up. I jump up on bars and swing around to be able to get past difficult areas. You can commandeer a tank in stage one and use that for a while to blow away enemies. Like everything's tossed at you like right away in stage one to really suck you into the game and really give you an idea. Okay, you're playing so you're playing an enhanced version of Contra, you're playing an awesome game. They really went above and beyond with trying to just why you with like with all the enemies and with all the graphics and the and explosions and everything. The explosions are great. Uh, they're still they're, they're huge, humongous, over the top. Every, but everything in this game is over the top, really. But like it pays pure homage to its eighties roots, uh, like the action with the action movies, very well fitting with the earlier games of the series. And also, what I really love about this game is uh, as you progress through the game, there's three difficulty levels: uh, easy, normal, and hard. Uh, one of the things that I love is that uh, as you go through the game, certain things that don't happen in earlier difficulty levels happen to you suddenly in later difficulty levels. One example that comes right to mind to me that I ran trouble with initially in stage one is those man-faced dogs we talked about earlier. You can see them in the background in easy mode, uh, but in easy mode, uh, they don't attack you. There's their background decoration. Uh, because I first played through the game in easy mode to get used to it, and then after I beat the game in easy mode, I, I upgraded to hard normal level. First time I went through that area normal level, I got killed because I wasn't expecting those dogs to come out at me. 
So as you increase difficulty level, the enemies change patterns and tactics and strategies. They come at you different ways, and I really love it. How the game does a great job of increasing difficulty as you go through the game. It doesn't feel like it's cheating. They just simply harsh more things at you, and it's going to come at you different ways. So stage one is an excellent introduction to the game as far as just you not only what's different about this game, but also to remind you why you love Contra and Super C so much. And also yes. as the uh, NES, SNES generation, by then I was conditioned to think, oh, wow, the first level was like this. What are the rest of the levels going to be like? Because <laughs> you were used to each level stepping up the spectacular and just the wow factor. And you were just kind of like, Man, I get a tank here, here come a bunch of flames here, and then a giant freaking turtle busts out the wall, <laughs> and then you're like, what's next? What do they got? And then they put you on a silly little overhead level, and then they jack it back up. <laughs> well, yeah, it's like they gradually, you don't see like what each mechanic of the game you have to deal with until like the third level almost everything but then you have to ride bikes after that level so yeah. that's one more element and so yeah. it's not until you get to the final level that you've pretty much seen everything that the game's normally going to throw at you see, um, you don't even see that until you're on the hard level when they they actually throw everything including <laughs> yes. the kitchen sink at you speaking of a uh, hard difficulty and whatnot i don't know if you guys noticed did you ever try and put in the Konami code and were sorely frustrated that it didn't work? Yes. I was well conditioned by that point to try out the Konami code like in all Konami games. It was uh, actually in the Japanese version. Yes, it apparently. was. It, it worked in the Japanese version the same way that it worked in the NES games and giving you 30 lives. But for the US but for the US release, they took it out and just gave you the option of giving yourself three, five, or seven lives in the option mode. Uh, maybe Konami felt at this point 30 lives is too much and they actually wanted to preserve some of the challenge of the game. Uh, you know what? I remember them throwing in a Konami code in Gradius 3. But if yeah. you entered it the normal way, your ship actually blew up. That was nasty. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I all right, good one, Konami. Been there, done that, happened to me. So, uh, <laughs> I think you had to use like L and R instead of left and right. Yes. Something goofy like that. The Japanese version also had two other codes that were, that, that, that were unfortunately moved for the U.S. release. They took out a code that would have given you the ability to listen to music of the, of the game. They also took out a code that would allow you to do stage select. So I wish they hadn't taken out those codes for the U.S. release, but it certainly would have been nice to be able to jump into stage six, for example, just to practice skills. I remember Silver Surfer. Once you beat that game, you actually get a hidden code. And if you use the second controller, suddenly you could do like stage select. You could select, you know, you could get infinite lives. So, yeah, it's definitely a handy feature to have in hard games like this, because honestly, some people will never see the end of this game. And you're just like, okay, well, thankfully, it doesn't have much of a story. You know, <laughs> you kill the bad guys, they're dead at the end. But you well, still the ending, want to see the end of the game. Yes. Yes, the ending does vary slightly depending upon the difficulty level that you beat it at, which we have to talk about later on. But stage two is the first overhead stage of the game, and it takes a while to get used to because the whole mechanic of the game changes this point. You were shown a map to start off with, and you have to change the position where you want to start off with on that map. And the first time I remember, I remember thinking the first time I saw this, I'm like, 
okay, what's going on here? Because I never understand like what the whole point of it was. Once you actually start the stage, you quickly realize that you have to take out five fixed points where like these bunkers where soldiers pop out and fire at you every now and then. And luckily there is a map, as Aaron alluded to earlier, that you can access by pushing select in case you get disorientated because it is easy to get disorientated in this until you get used to it. Because you're using that L and R button to exactly. move, to, uh, yeah, so, move you know. your viewpoint and that gets you so messed up and so turned around. If you're not like nowadays, we're used to 3D games and we're used to shifting perspectives with a camera. Back then, it was really novel to be able to rotate a map like that. Right. You didn't see that in any games up to that point. And this game wasn't based on an arcade game like the first two games. So you didn't have your experience to fall back on on playing, you know, those versions of the games to know what to expect. You know, it was like. Let's throw you into this uh, overhead area and let's give you the ability to rotate and uh, let's see how you do. <laughs> I can see why they did that because it takes a lot of maneuvering to get away from things. When the turret guy fires and then you've got everybody coming from you in the general directions, then you have the stupid, I hate that worm thing, whatever <laughs> that stupid thing is, and it takes forever to kill them. Unless you've got flamethrower or laser or something like that. And I could see why they did that. And then the final boss, it really came in handy to be able to rotate. And like yes. the fifth try or something like that, I pretty much could do it with no problem whatsoever. And I knew exactly where to start and where to finish in a pretty short time. Being able to rotate is, and rotate well is key to be the boss of the stage because once you know how to rotate, as Chad just said, uh, it's like it's a fairly easy boss to take down. I, I actually found the turrets are very handy to use a, to use smart bomb when you're attacking a turret because the smart bomb will take out the enemies attacking you, which allow you to focus all your firepower upon trying to pop that guy. So when you pop that turret, the part of the stage I hate the most, I still struggle with like to this day, is those freaking collapsed sections of the uh, of the highway. We have this very very, oh, yeah. very narrow good. narrow thin stretch you're walking across, <laughs> and so you have to be on it. It's not going to collapse until you're on it. You can't just like fake it out and figure out which strip is left. <laughs> and that strip is so darn hard to walk across. <laughs> I cannot tell you how many lives I've lost trying to get across that thing. Ugh. <laughs> and Isn't if it? you misjudge it just like a little millisecond when it collapses, you're done. <laughs> yes. So uh, stage three, luckily, has you going back to the side-scrolling action. And they, uh, this is the bike stage, isn't it? Stage four is the bike stage. No, stage three the, is the uh, aerial stage. Oh, yes, the industrial stage, I think, it did, because because you heard the game, you had that very impressive background graphic of the of this huge factory just, just churning out all that smoke and smog into the air. And the music changes to this very ominous, threatening, uh, tense tone that kind of makes you feel like that you don't know what's going to happen in the stage. And they, uh, there's some very neat things that happen in the stage. I love the whole part where you're climbing up the wall and you have the enemy coming down. And so you're forced to climb up this whole wall, basically, and you can't attack the enemy because the enemy doesn't have his weak spot to exposed. So like, all the time trying to climb up the wall, you're trying to dodge his legs. So you need to stay either on top or below or preferably inside of his legs because he keeps trying to attack you with his legs. So while firing missiles at you and you yes. have to shoot the missiles down yeah. or it's going to kill you. And you don't know that. Like at first you're like, okay, do I have to dodge these missiles? Okay. There's no way I can dodge them. Cause they're coming like right towards me. And there's, you know, I go up and I get hit by a leg. I go down I get hit by a leg. So it's like, okay, maybe I have to shoot at these missiles. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I accidentally, uh, when I was a kid, I only figured it out because I got so mad at the thing. I tried to shoot it, and I knew it was going to do anything, and the missile blew up. And I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> well, then it, like, it totally changes it up on you once you get f- further up, and then it's like suddenly you've got spikes popping out, and the wall collapses in. Yes. And it just, yeah, it's and he, crazy he, how many cool set pieces are in this game. And he faints you out. He, like... You can't be like, okay, there's two feints, and he's going to hit me. No, there's no pattern. It's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, this game had some awesome mini-bosses. Uh, some, some, some of the mini-bosses were actually, like, were actually more difficult fighting regular stage bosses, I thought. Um, and this guy definitely is one of the harder mini-bosses of the game. And he's not the only mini-boss, because no, no sooner than he managed to get to, to get to the top of this villager climbing, and, and you get attacked by another mini-boss. That uh, throws down dynamite on you. Uh, it's like in a few fast and furious pattern. So, and it's like a spotlight for trying to figure out how to avoid avoid the dynamite at first and take him down. It's like to be challenging. Yeah, and then, oh man, and that stupid spinning thing. Like I said, you had to watch yourself or you're going down with it. And this this level really stepped it up on you. Yes. Yep. And- like Aaron already talked about, like how awesome and cool the boss is, like the stage. Uh, it's just totally great. Like how you think you have an easy fight, and all of a sudden you see these two hands just claw their way like out of the wall, and the head popping out. You know, go oh, crap! This is not as easy as fight was going to be. Yeah, oh, yeah, and that music too. Just the music in this game is fantastic, and there's just so many like orchestral hits. Yes, and just really pumping music and like these weird syncopated beats and almost odd time signatures or odd meters where it's like it's in a normal i mean if you're a musician it's in a normal time signature but it's an odd rhythm so like when you're on this level it it really throws off your sense of balance the way the the music is played it's not like a straight ahead rock track i feel like in this game they really changed they they went away from like the the heavy metal like iron maiden style songs or whatever from contra uh you know like 80s hard rock to in this game totally went orchestral and very ominous sounding and a bit darker. And you notice in like the graphics how everything's a bit grungier and, and darker toned than what you went, could do on the NES. They almost went Metroidish on this one. Yeah, I can kind of see where you're going with that. You, you kind of get that feeling playing some of those bosses too. Um, just that very dark, ominous music. And so stage four is one of my most favorite stages of the game. Uh, this is the bike riding stage. Uh, we get to actually, the first half of the stage has like riding a bike, trying to feed like other bikers and whatnot. And it's like really, it's, like it's a major rush, just like just like controlling this bike uh, going down the highway. It almost feels like a different game in some parts uh, because of the different mechanic of having your character on the bike and everything. So it's so very well done. And then you have the battleship that flies over you and it's like you have to like dodge the attacks and damage it just like that way. But if you thought the bike part was fun, you ain't seen nothing yet because the second half of the stage gets really intense and totally out of there because because all of a sudden your child comes down with a missile and you hop up on the missile. So you're holding onto a missile with like one hand. Totally unrealistic, but I love it. Just trying to beat this darn mini boss who comes at you with like every other hand. Oh, I hate this guy. He has this, he has this like grappling hook like weapon. Kind of like you kind of like almost out of like Kind of almost like out of like a Bionic Commando game, and, and it's so hard to attack it because of the patterns and whatnot, and you don't have a lot of room to maneuver because you're on this missile. So it, it makes a very challenging, frustrating fight. In short, guys, you're playing an '80s action flick. <laughs> totally. <laughs> <laughs>
on they, steroids. Yes, no. on steroids. Much. <laughs> like, and then, then if that part wasn't enough, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the copter fires the missile, and actually, at the Boston stage, you have to hop from missile to missile in the air. Where all these missiles are coming from, God only knows. But you have to hop from missile to missile while trying to attack the generators that generate the shield, protecting the boss, just you can fire on the core. And the boss also firing weapons at you that, that destroy the missile. So not only having to worry about the boss, you're also having to worry about the missile you're on, trying to make sure that you can actually jump off or fall down or get on the missile in case the missile that you're riding on uh, either gets destroyed or reaches to reach the end of the screen. Totally over the top, totally intense, totally love it. It's definitely probably both my most favorite and challenging uh, boss fight like in the whole game. Yes. Yeah, that's that's definitely one of the great set pieces of the game. And I want to say other games started borrowing from that, like in um, Gunstar Heroes. You do one of those vertical stages and the boss fight, the end fight of that level is you're fighting on top of a helicopter where the the bad guy pops out and starts trying to knock you physically off the copter and you're you know you're holding on to the railing with one hand shooting at him with the other as he <laughs> tries to stomp on your fingers yeah and it also just makes me think of like this is like the new terminator movie we're <laughs> yeah. like this is a it's like a modern action flick now where they do everything with cg and so they can make their characters do impossible things where they'd be dead in like two seconds <laughs> Yeah, like totally, like totally over the top. The eighties action like in the stage, which I guess is one reason you know, like I love it so much. Then we go from perhaps perhaps my favorite stage of the game to my least favorite stage of the game. Uh, stage five is another overhead stage, except this time it has you in the desert. Yeah, not really a lot to say about the stage, except just for the fact that there's also quicksand pits every now and then that are very hard to get out of. So you really need to try your hardest to avoid getting like those pits. And then you do the same thing in stage two. You have to like set turret points, and then. Uh, the boss for this stage is just pretty, uh, he's challenging, but there's not really too much to say about him. Just he's a pretty basic sand creature boss that you just have to simply learn the pattern for and defeat. At this point in the game, you should be able to know how to rotate your guy correctly to get to uh, the right firing angles and whatnot. So it's just kind of like, you know, your weakest, I think, boss fight in the whole game, as far as like, you know, design and challenge goes. Yeah. Yeah, that's... And, and thankfully, I mean, the level doesn't last too long. You know, it's over before you know it. And then you're on to the final level. Yeah. Um, it's a breather level. Yes. It is. It, it seems like it's a little bit easier, especially I think the hardest level, well, to me, is probably level three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At least until you get to the last level and get to the last boss. Like a lot of level three is just throwing stuff at it, at you that you're not expecting and having to kind of deal with these game mechanics in interesting ways. Right. Level three was kind of like, oh my gosh, how long is this level? Where is the boss? <laughs> it was a long level. Like you had no idea when it would end because yes. you keep on going up and up and up and up. And you're like, okay, before you know it, we're going to be on the moon. Like, <laughs> when are we going to stop? Yeah. So stage six is the Ebony Lair, and I and I love this stage for a number of reasons. I love the fact how they kept it kind of uh, similar to the last stage in Contra and Super C with the whole alien uh, look and feel to it. But, and I also love how you have to defeat the bosses of Contra and Super C first to reach the boss of this game. So it's total throwback. It just... I love how they have those past bosses at you first that you have to like overcome and overcome and get past uh, to reach the final boss like this game. It's, 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 it's like it's a great homage to like the past games of the series. 
Yeah, that one boss from Contra One. It's very phallic. Yes. <laughs> you see yes. that, but this was H. This was H.R. Geiger inspired. So yes. it, it makes total sense, you know, because right. that's how the Alien series was. I mean, these creatures very sexualized and weird. Yes. <laughs> yes. So the last boss of this game changes depending upon what degree level that you're playing at. If you are in, so the last boss of this game is like an alien brain. That's a very interesting game mechanic to it that I've not seen repeated anywhere else, really, for that matter. The boss every now and then will spit out a bunch of rotating orbs that's you know it's surrounded because it's a giant alien brain and the orbs spin out around it. And in easy mode, it's possible to be able to time your shot to figure out which orbit you want to hit because depending upon what orbit you attack triggers what kind of attack that the boss throws at you and some attacks are definitely easier to deal with than others so in easy mode you're uh, the spin's slow enough that you're able to figure out which ones you want to shoot and be able to aim it and normal on the hardest difficulty level it's like forget about it you're pretty much just simply just taking a shot at random and just hoping to get ones you can deal with because yeah. <laughs> some of some of those attacks are very are very hard to deal with I think the easy ones to deal with for me are the ones in which all the eyeballs spin around at you and screen, and also the one in which the in which the brain spits out the two legs and just walks all over the place because you can stay underneath him uh, um, uh, while he's in that mode, uh, pummeling him with your weapons all the time. So, so if you so you beat the boss finally, and normally at normal difficulty level, that's it. You just have a chopper come down to to, to evacuate you. Be the boss explodes. Uh, you carry up this shaft up to the surface, and you're saved. Get, um, um, and that's it. In in the hardest difficulty mode, mode though, you're in for slayer for one last surprise because the boss comes. The boss comes back to life, gains this alien uh, metal shield uh, suit that, that forms around it, and comes up the shaft chasing you. So, you know, so so once again, you're trying to do a boss fight while holding onto a missile. Except this time, except this, except this time, the, the the boss is really pee off at you. So, uh, it's definitely the most difficult fight of the whole game, and definitely definitely locked down why that you're playing the hardest difficulty level. So, if you finally manage to get past that, then you get to see the true ending of the game, and and you consider yourself to be one of the very fortunate few who's been able to beat this beat this game at the hardest difficulty level. Because it took me a long, long time to beat this game at the hardest difficulty level. I think I probably hacked away this game for a good year before I finally managed to before I managed to manage to manage to manage to see the true ending. Yeah. Yeah, I still haven't beaten it on hard. Yeah, I, I've I beaten it on on normal, but no, not hard. <laughs> yeah, we were. Uh, I'll yeah, get there. You know, brother. I'm riding Greg's coattails right now, but. Yeah, me and me and my brother, we played it on um, easy. And we beat it on easy, and we played it on normal. We beat it on normal, and we got like halfway through hard, and then the punk stole the game. So, yeah. Friends don't <laughs> let friends take their games. Yes, yes. Well, you guys are missing uh, like a great boss fight then to the last part because. Uh, because that alien brain uh, in round two, which you only get to face at the hard difficulty level, it is a very, very difficult fight. Probably one of the most hardest boss fights I've ever done before in an action game. Because, like I said earlier, not only is your room limited because you're, because you're still hanging on to that missile, um, but, but also the attack he throws at you are extremely difficult to avoid, and you have to hit, you can't hit him at like one very small weak spot. So, it is... You better have you better have several lives left in reserve uh, to, to deal with that last form. That's all I can say. 
<laughs> right. This this is probably an area we're doing a we're doing a little bit of cheating by save state. Probably perfect okay until you get used to it. Or uh, game genie. <laughs> or that too. Yep. <laughs> yes. Yes. But I only ever used the game genie on Final Fantasy three just to break the game, and yeah. explore I've areas I shouldn't. Yeah. Game genie. You never used Game Genie? I, no. I used it. I'd love to use it to do wacky things. I didn't use it so much for like the infinite lives and whatnot. It was more to like, you know, in Super Mario Brothers 1, I'd use it to like do the the moon jump or like where you could swim on normal levels. I'd do stuff like that. I loved breaking games like that. Yeah, I had a Game Genie for the NDS and I fucking loved it. Uh, it really, um, contrary to what Nintendo thought at the time, I really got a lot of enjoyment uh, using it because it helped to breathe new life back into my old games. Uh, being able to experiment and do this and do that and that kind of stuff. So, and, and the book, and the book that came with the, came with the Game Genie gave you a, a ton of useful codes. I did really... recently score a Game Genie week from my buddy Nick DeMarco. So, did we'll you know see. you could stack Game Genies? Did you guys know that? Yes, no, I, I did. did. <laughs> yeah, you can stack them. Like, I had three Game Genies at one point on the NES, so you could have, I think it was, like, six codes. <laughs> oh, wow. So That's you awesome. could have your Tower of Power. <laughs> well, if you had, like, a top loader, it's Tower of Power. Yes. I guess yeah. if you had a, a a toaster version, then it was more like a, you know, you would have to ha- have something to prop it up with. Well, Michael Kelso, one of the hosts of the Two Dudes in NES podcast, posted a recent Facebook picture of something I guess they offered back in the day that I never had seen or was even aware of. You know, I guess they released an adapter that you could use to slip onto your game genie to use in the later Model 2 NES. Oh, and yeah, it, that was my post, actually. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Like, that was his. No, that's okay. No, I posted it in his group. I shared ah, okay. Post. I didn't, and I didn't actually own it, but yeah, there's um, something you had to do special order to i guess it was galoob at the time yes because i had the game genie and i had a top loading nes and i would jam the game genie in there and it didn't really fit (laughs) (laughs) and so they made this adapter you had to special order and now they're kind of rare now yes yes so in summary to finish up our gameplay discussion of contra 3 what else can i say about it i mean like you know i could you know, I could gush on this game for hours and hours. I just totally love it. It's one of my all-time favorite Super NES games. It probably would even make my top 10 list of all-time favorite games, period. It's just that good. I mean, I certainly hope that you've gotten the impression from listening to myself and Aaron and Chad talk about it for this long, just how much we love the game. And if you enjoy action games at all, if you enjoy the previous Contra games, it's like you just want to have a fun time with a friend, blowing things up and just going back to the days of the 80s with reliving your action memories for movies and whatnot, you definitely need to check out this game. This game can be a little bit expensive to get on eBay. I'll talk about eBay pricing here in a little bit. There's no shame or harm in playing it like by emulation, but this is one of the showcase games of Super NES. I think this game really shows off what the system can do as far as graphics and music and gameplay. It is totally awesome, totally over the top. I just simply cannot say enough good things about how awesome this game is and just how excellent that it is. And still a lot of fun to play, play even like in this day. It is definitely a must-have. I mean, if you have the system, if you find it at all, get it. Yeah, it's 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 a very good game. So yeah. You mean I shouldn't pick up that Barbie's Vacation game? <laughs> I mean, you guys are covering that soon, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, dude. We, we actually we it's... covered it on our show. I'm, yes, I'm not joking. <laughs> Paul Paul talked about that game and the many um, qualities of it and what makes it so superior to Contra Three. 
Uh, but you'll have to listen to the episode to find out. So, <laughs> I, uh, I, <laughs> I'm just I, I, kidding. I like, I'm not kidding like about the Barbie house. part. I'm kidding about the Contra Three part. So uh, we already pretty much gave our kind of hints and tips for the to, like most people out there who haven't yet played this game. Uh, start off with easy mode. Uh, give yourself seven lives. Experiment like the various weapons. There's no harm in using save stakes to get used to the game. Like you play it by emulation. Just pretty much like a lot of action games, it requires a lot of a uh, uh, trial and error to figure out to figure out the patterns and figure out what works effectively in this area and that kind of area. So just be. Uh, don't start off with the highest difficulty level right away. There's no harm. There's no harm starting off with easy. E- even easy in this game is kind of challenging. So just get used to the game, experiment with the weapons, see which weapons that you like the most, and just go from there. Chad, Aaron, do you have anything else that you can add as far as like maybe some uh, strategies or tips as far as the gameplay goes? Duck, dip, dive, duck, and dodge. <laughs> <laughs> All at once, if need be. All at once. Yes. yes. Don't die. Find a strategy with the weapons that you like and it's usable for you and be flexible because things are constantly changing in this game if yes. you like slow plotting rpgs which i do this isn't <laughs> necessarily the game for you because this game uh, is very high octane yes definitely i would like to mention though if you play this on emulation aaron and i have been playing emulation together i live in arkansas and he lives in texas and we have been playing via Netplay. So, yeah, uh, Aaron knows more about it than I do, but it's been very cool. That's what we have been doing. Um, Oh, today and Thursday, I believe. Tonight, anyway, for about 30 minutes or so. It's very cool. You don't actually have to play by yourself with emulation. Yeah, as long as you um, find an emulator that has Netplay. Nowadays, um, you can use a program called Hamachi. In which people use for things like Minecraft to play a peer-to-peer. So you can grab a copy of ZSNES. Uh, the newest version of that emulator doesn't actually include Netplay, so you have to use an older one, like I think it's 1.36 and 1.42. You combine that, you grab Hamachi, you grab a friend, and then you can play two-player Netplay, and it usually works pretty well without any desyncs. So, well, we've just been depends. playing pretty good, so um, we never we didn't really have a problem. Yeah, it went well, except for, you know, Chad's uh, controller issue, but he solved it. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we got with it. I'm technologically challenged anyway. Yeah, but at least, you know, we got through it. And I'd say if uh, anyone has any questions, you can always head over to the SNES podcast group page. And I'm sure one of these guys would help you out with it. Absolutely. Yeah, oh, definitely. Um, yeah, at first, my control was lagging. And then I died, and I came back. And each time I came back, it took like three times or so. I don't know if it takes a minute for it to read the controller very well or not. But each time, the lag really decreased until I was working out pretty good. Yeah, and I I just smacked the router a few times on my end, and that seemed to be the trick. (laughs) Yeah, you know. Like font style. (laughs) Beat your electronics. That's the way to go. Uh, That's how we did it back in the day. Like, if a Super Nintendo game wouldn't work, you'd smack the cartridge. Well, it's better than blowing on it, I suppose. So, for those of you out there who have not yet played this game and are looking to pick up a copy, as you might expect, this game was very popular and was produced in a large amount. 
So finding on eBay is not all that difficult. Uh, I found 244 listings of this game sold over the last nine days. And the collectors out there probably know Super NES prices right now is like in a bubble. A lot of games that you could have for cheap not that long ago are going for highly inflated prices. That said, this game is not as expensive as I thought it might be. There certainly are more expensive games out there than this one. I was expecting because of how popular Contra 3 is that the prices were going to be kind of crazy. But the pricing for this is okay, at least in cart form. There were cart prices of this game sold in a pretty narrow range over the last nine days from $26 to $49. So it's reasonable. It's, it's actually cheaper than what you would have paid for back in the days new, where some Super NES games are not at all like that. Uh, Earthbound, for example. So, uh, <laughs> complete in box copies, however, range wildly in prices. When I did see some copies that sold for cheap as 46, uh, so, so you can get it for somewhat cheap. I've also seen copies sell for as high as 169. This game could definitely command a lot more money if you're looking for its CIB, but if you want to get CIB, just be patient because, like I said, $47 for a copy is not that bad. So, um, right. so if you just want the cart, so you can pick one up pretty easily for a pretty cheap price. I got mine from a game exchange, and I think I paid 25 mm. and they're basically the most expensive game in town, but yeah. didn't care at the time. Like I said, I know I probably overpaid a little bit, but no, that's a good I price. got my Contra 3. <laughs> that's a very good price, because you expect the local stores, the mom and pop operators, to charge you a little bit extra, extra for the game as opposed to eBay, because they're trying to, you're trying to pay the rent. Yeah, so, but yeah, twenty five dollars for this game is a pretty good price, I think. Yeah, yeah, oh, definitely. I picked this thing up and I ran out the door. That's all <laughs> I wanted. <laughs> uh, you remember to pay, though, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I, I did, I did pay, but I was like, oh man, he's gonna change his mind. I'm gonna pay for this. I'm gonna go. <laughs> Uh, so speaking about the popularity of the game, we must have gotten a lot of feedback on our Facebook pages, pages and groups like about this game from people who have like fond memories of it. Here we go. So um, it says Tim Purcell Jr. says, oh, my God, I love this. I have this CIB. Lucas Teresi says, me too. I've come close, but still haven't beat it. Anton J. Hernandez. I love the early Contra series. Alien Wars and Hardcore were my favorite. Corey Ellis says, I'm not going to lie, one of my most favorite Contra games is the first one because of the music, graphics, and its galore. I love the NES and love how 8-bit games look. It's so awesome. Yeah, well, who asked you? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> love you, man. <laughs> Henry Yodo, I'm sorry, man. I, I hate trying to pronounce you guys' names. Anytime someone mentions SNES... This game comes to my mind first. I love this game. A game that should, and Mark Guerra says, a game that should be in anyone's SNES collection. John Provey Jr., that game is a beast. Ken Watson, best game ever. Wes Goroko, one of my faves. <laughs> Michael Kelso says, love, love, love that game. Anderson Akeley says, I love this game. Philip Vaughn says, so anybody got that Deathless rundown yet? <laughs> and there was this one guy, man. I don't even <laughs> know why he keeps trolling us. Why he keeps posting for some odd reason. <laughs> Aaron Hickman says, I hate this game with a fiery burning passion. I never want to talk about it publicly on a podcast. 
<laughs> That's okay. <laughs> uh, Did you refresh? You see what it says after that? Yeah, I, I'm just so excited to uh, to troll you guys. <laughs> so, you know, so, you know, you're supposed to be better. Uh, like those uh, two guys over at No Quarter, like tried to ban me like my own podcast. <laughs> How did that happen? Explain that one to me. I um, so I think I started off when I mentioned to my first feedback to them seven months ago that the Commodore 64 was a superior gaming computer like their Apple II, and things kind of went downhill from there. Ooh. <laughs> See, I grew up with an Apple II, but I kind of side with you, so. Uh, Fighting words. Yeah. So they're swinging that band hammer around like pretty freely these days. So uh, just be careful if you submit feedback, like if you feedback over to them. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's all I got for today. Great. You know, I certainly hope that we've been able to been able to do this game justice. There's a reason why this game is so remembered. Uh, like even like over 20 years later, it's just simply a classic. It certainly is one of those games that should be enjoyed and remembered and like for a long time to come. And they, uh, you know, all the different difficulties and game options and flexibility you have in the game just give you tons of replay value. And like Chad Niren already said, playing the game two players is a totally different experience. So uh, grab a friend if you can, or um, or try the game out like online, uh, like via emulation, and they uh, see how different that you have to play the game two player like versus one player. So it was totally a great game. I certainly I'd want to talk about this game. So it was a so it was a real pleasure like having you on with us, Aaron, to talk about this game with us. Yeah, no, in all seriousness, it was a great time. I appreciated being on here, uh, and I'd love to do it again sometime. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, like, you know, we definitely would love the chance to have you get back on the podcast at some future point. Uh, speaking about that, Chad and I are always open to offers for anybody who wants to come on to the podcast with us. If you have a favorite game on the system that you want to talk about, obscure, popular, somewhere between, send us that one of us know. Uh, we, can, we can be reached directly at the Super NES podcast at yahoo.com. We also have a Facebook group and Facebook page up where you can comment uh, and reach us. Uh, I can be reached on Atari Age, like under the name of Soul Blazer. And, uh, and you can also find the podcast under, uh, under iTunes and Stitcher for your listening pleasure. We have a couple people tentatively lined up to come on the podcast, uh, podcast in the coming weeks to talk about some of their favorite games. I don't want to drop any names quite yet, but one of these guys is, he's also a very popular podcaster. So, um, it certainly would be a lot of fun having him like on the podcast. So yeah, Chad and I are very friendly as I'm hopeful that Aaron can attest to, gotcha. um, <laughs> Unless you disagree, then you're done. Uh, <laughs> stick a fork in your kid, you're <laughs> Right. <laughs> well, luckily, Chad and I have not have not disagreed too much. So, uh, Earth Defense Force we disagreed on by quite a bit, but things don't but things don't stay pretty civil like in that talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hit the mute button quite a bit. <laughs> uh, I only heard mothers' Jake. names being called once or twice. <laughs> uh. <laughs> right. <laughs> So uh, speaking about Chad, we're going to be covering one of Chad's favorite games for the system next week. Uh, like the next episode of Super NES Podcast. He did our first role-playing game for the system. You knew it was coming. We had to talk about a role-playing game at some point because Super NES is definitely well known for some of its great RPGs that it has its catalog. So next week, Chad and I are, are going to be talking about the obscure Super NES RPG uh, Arcana, published by Howe in 1992. Uh, again, it's something a lot of people's radar, it seems. Very underrated. Um, I like the game a lot. I think Chad likes it more than I do. Um, it's definitely, it's definitely, it's definitely a very unique and challenging game for the system. So. Really one of those games that really belongs under the glass with Secret of Mana, but you're very lucky to find it if you, uh, in the common area. So, yeah, definitely that. 
Yeah, I was lucky enough to. Uh, yeah, I was. I was lucky enough to rent this game back in the day when it was new, and, and I never really liked it. A lot of people probably missed it if they didn't get it in that first year because it dropped out of production like very quickly. Uh, uh, Aaron, like, is this a game that you've ever played? You know what? I've played it for a few minutes, but where I actually found out about this game was in that top secret passwords guide that Nintendo oh, put out. Yes, where they show you, and it was like right around when the Super Nintendo was just gaining steam. And so you had passwords and stage select guides to just a ton of NES, Game Boy, and a, and a few Super Nintendo games. And this was one of them. Mm. So, like, I remember being so excited for this game. I'm glad you guys are covering it because uh, I need to go back and play it some more. I didn't really give it a fair shot mm. just because sometimes you see a dungeon crawler and you're like, is it going to be like every other dungeon crawler? Uh, you know, is it going to be frustrating or, you know, I, I like dungeon crawlers, but I really had to be invested in it, I guess. <laughs> yep. It really, yeah, it it grabs you, but I'm going to save all that for next week. And like I said, stay tuned for the weeks to come. We're going to have some special guest hosts on the podcast. We're, we're going to be talking about both popular games. And... So, Chad, like, any final thoughts or comments? Man, I just really appreciate y'all listening to us and uh, we will see y'all later. Yes. It was great doing this with you again, uh, Chad. I'm looking forward to next week. And Aaron, once again, thank you very much for being on the podcast with us. Thank you. Okay. Uh, thank you again very much out there for listening to the podcast, and have a good night. Good night. Nintendo controls 80% of the video market. But no matter how you play the game or which game you play, things definitely have come a long way since Pac-Man. Now you're playing with power. Oh, oh.